a commission, I think, is both a privilege and a responsibility. I was sat in a, an assembly on, on, on Fridays in Curry Rival School where Kate is. Um, parents are invited to, uh, to go to assembly. It's my day off. So Andrew and I often go to Kate's assembly on a Friday. And this particular Friday, um, the, 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 the head was presenting a new um, uniform and a new logo that the school is launching for September. And uh, they asked the lady who'd been commissioned to design the logo, to come up to the front and talk about it. And she happened to be sitting next to Angela and I. And so she talked about it at the front. After the assembly, we just chatted to her. And she said, I tell you, I didn't realise how scary that was going to be to design a logo for the school. Because it's going to kind of live on for the next years. And if I make a mess of it, then I'm going to look at it and it's going to be really embarrassing. So she kind of felt the responsibility of being commissioned to design a simple logo. It's a brilliant logo. I love it. But look out for it and the purple uniform and all of that. It's good. But there's a real responsibility as well as a privilege in being asked to do that. I don't know if any of you, a few years ago, there was a TV programme where Rolf Harris um, was commissioned to paint a portrait of the Queen. And not that many people are allowed to do that. There's kind of numbers in tens, I think, over the course of her reign. And this programme was about Rolf Harris and how, she, how he painted the Queen. And again, there was both this sense of excitement. Whoa, I'm allowed to do this. And also, <gasps> I'm painting the Queen. He was, she, he, was, he was really quite terrified as he did it. That sense of, of privilege and responsibility as he was commissioned to paint the queen. Here, these disciples are being commissioned to continue what Jesus began to do and to teach. And I wonder how those first disciples felt as they were being commissioned to carry on what Jesus began. I wonder how you feel about being commissioned to continue doing what Jesus began to do and to teach. Because ultimately that's where this lands. It's about your commission as well as the disciples' commission. You see, in this very early part of Acts, Jesus is preparing his followers for the tasks ahead. He's continuing to establish the kingdom of God. Verses 1 to 3 set the scene. Luke recalls how Jesus has risen from the dead and he's been appearing and he's been talking about the kingdom of God. Excuse me, just one moment. through your mind just then? Has he lost the plot? Gone out to play with the children. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder what was going through your head though as I just walked out the door. 
I'd actually meant to mention it to a couple of people just in case they thought, he's completely lost it. But I forgot. So actually nobody knew that I was going to walk out the door. But I wonder if you were thinking, is everything all right? Has, has he seen something? <laughs> Phil was thinking, maybe I should just fill in. Exactly, yeah. But none of you knew what was going on as the bonkers preacher walked out the door. But I did that just to try and get you to to recall. These disciples had no idea what was coming next. We do because it's in the Bible and we can read it and we can see it and we've got that privilege. They hadn't a clue, just as we've no idea what goes on in the next half an hour, never mind this week. We don't know what's coming next. These disciples knew nothing of what was coming. And I guess they might have felt some of that uncertainty, as some of you felt. Some of you just thought, oh yeah. But some of you were beginning to think, well, what's going to go? How are we going to deal with this? The kingdom of God, something that Jesus spoke about, Throughout his life, actually. In fact, before his life, Luke recalls in that beautiful moment where where his birth is announced to Mary. The kingdom of God features right from that moment. In fact, it features right back through the Old Testament. The Jewish people expected the kingdom. Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry, spoke of the kingdom of God being near And it comes right into the end of his ministry here in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. He spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus taught it. He announced it. He embodied it. And he brought it near for us and for his first followers to be a part of it preparing his first followers to continue what he began to do and to teach. I wonder, and you're allowed to answer this, do you think they felt equipped and qualified to continue what Jesus had begun? No. I don't reckon they did. They were unschooled, ordinary people. Now, we've all had schooling, at least, but we're ordinary people. And I don't think we feel necessarily any more equipped than they did to continue the work of Jesus. And so as we begin to think about this just a little bit this morning, there are are four things I want us to look at. First of all, Jesus corrects a misunderstanding in this passage. And then he gives three assurances. Three and one, that makes four. So there's four things that we're going to look at briefly this morning. He corrects a misunderstanding. And then he gives assurances to this ordinary band of of men. And I suspect some of the women were there as well. And certainly that that spread out beyond the, the, the 11 very quickly. I want you to think for a minute though. Try and picture the scene. Some of you might have been at the manse, might have seen the kitchen, where the kitchen table is, where we eat our dinner. Just imagine this scenario for a moment. We're sitting at tea time, explaining the finer points of a physics homework that one of the kids has come home saying, what does that mean? 
And when you know that Angela and I, between us, have got an E-grade O-level in physics, you realise that this is not a good thing. And so we're Googling, we're doing everything we can to figure out how to help one of the kids with their physics homework. And as it happens, there's a few ideas flying about, about how electricity is generated and how all that thing happens. And the others are beginning to chip in. And then all of a sudden, them, sudden one of them just kind of like pipes up, look, just looks like they're about to burst. They, they just want to say something, they want to say something, but somebody else is kind of just working it out. So we kind of say, just hold on, here's, you know, talk about it, talk about it. The other one's just bursting to say something, bursting to say something. And then they say, when is it we're going to Dartmoor Zoo? <laughs> and you kind of think, what? Where did that come from? We've just been talking about electricity and you're talking about Dartmoor Zoo? Hello? But you know, I don't think that happens just in my family. Although my family is my family, they're lovely. But I think probably we've all been in places where you're kind of talking about something, thinking about something, working something through, and then something comes out of left field and it's like, where? What did, hmm? Where did that come from? It's not that the questioner is being rude. It's not that my child was being rude by asking the question. It's just that their understanding, their mind, was elsewhere, thinking something different. And verse 6 in this passage, I think, is a little bit like that. A question that completely comes out of left field. Well, it's, it's a bit more logical, to be honest, than the physics and Dartmoor Zoo thing, I grant you. But verse 6, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a question that shows that the disciples' minds were, were elsewhere. Their understanding was elsewhere. It wasn't where Jesus was. And you can kind of understand it. The Jews were were a small nation. They'd experienced thousands of years of of exile, of occupation, of being kind of booted around here, there and everywhere. And they knew that a time was coming when a Messiah would come and save them. They knew that, that he would come in the kingly line of David. And it was understandable that they kind of understood that to be something geographical, something cultural and ethnic, that that surely this is about us, the chosen people. And all this talk of the kingdom of God that Jesus has been speaking of and showing, well, you can kind of see the nationalistic pride surging up. That's why Jesus often said in the course of his ministry, please don't say a word to anybody about this. Because he knew that time and again it would be misunderstood. And people would think, well, yeah, he's the conquering hero. He's the one to come and kick them Romans out. But Jesus responds, not with, don't be daft, or what? But actually he responds graciously. He responds with a guiding hand. And he says, look, Actually, the Father has got these details in hand. It's okay, you don't need to know 
Trust me. You've got a job to do. You've got a job under the authority of the Father. You need to continue what I started. And as we look back on Jesus' ministry, we can so clearly see that the kingdom of God isn't about geography. It's not about land. Although there is something physical, don't, don't misunderstand, the kingdom of God is not purely spiritual. The kingdom of God does land in our lives. And so actually this, this conference that's about um, kind of understanding the digital media and how church can use that, that is kingdom of God stuff. Seeking to work out how we can use the technology that is there to glorify God. That's why a conference combating poverty, seeking to understand how we as Christians can engage and be able to help in an age where benefits just seem to be an absolute minefield and where there's a very judgmental attitude towards benefits. These things are good and these are concrete things of the kingdom. But the disciples were thinking the kingdom was about land and geography and kingdom and, and, and all of that. But the kingdom is the dynamic and kingly reign of God here on earth that will be completed and fulfilled when Jesus returns again. But it's something that Jesus inaugurated and wanted the disciples to continue. The kingdom is seen where there is justice, where there is mercy and grace, where there's generosity and love, where there's forgiveness. The disciples had seen that. They'd seen it embodied in Jesus. They'd seen it worked out and seen it miraculously transform lives and bring people to healing and restoration. And the disciples would see that in the days to come, this would be how the kingdom would be. As the church began to grow, they saw that the church became an instrument of the kingdom of God. And let me just say at that point, that's quite important to say, that the church became an instrument of the kingdom of God. The church is not the kingdom of God. When we come to church, we have not arrived and become kind of completely untouchable sometimes I think we behave as though that does happen but the church is an instrument of the kingdom of God see if you look in the following letters the kingdom of God is preached not the church but we can in fact we should be instruments of the kingdom and witnesses too the kingdom, as we allow God to show his power working through us, carrying on the commission that Jesus gives his disciples. I wonder, just as the, the disciples misunderstood what Jesus was talking about with the kingdom, do we misunderstand? Do we find ourselves wondering, well, that was fine for them, but where do I fit? Do we maybe mistake the church and its traditions and its culture for the kingdom? It's 
squeeze God out? Or do we maybe think that, that we're not qualified enough, we're not good enough, we're not clever enough, we're not holy enough to be any use for God? Let me point you back to the fact that the disciples, I'm sure, felt just as vulnerable. But by the sheer undeserved generosity of God, by his grace, we are invited to walk with him and we are commissioned to carry on his work, which he began. That might feel like a very onerous thing. And in one sense, there is that responsibility, like of, 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 of silly examples, but designing a logo or painting a portrait. There's a privilege and a responsibility, and it can be felt. But actually, Jesus gives three assurances having corrected a misunderstanding about the kingdom and what they're to do. He gives three assurances. First one in verse 5. You will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Next one comes in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then carrying on in verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now those first two, you will be baptised in the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. We're going to continue to look at those in the coming weeks. Not least because we have Pentecost coming up where we remember the birth of the church. But maybe just cast your minds back to Easter Day, if you were with us, where three people were baptised in a pool down here. They were drenched with water, soaked to the skin. A kind of a visible picture of what God has done for them. But also a visible picture of what God wants to do for them. To be drenched in the Holy Spirit is to, to, to have God evident in your life. Through the fruit that he produces, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things will be evidence of drenching in the Holy Spirit. They will grow a little bit like the sunflowers we planted last week with the children. Through tending, they will grow. And those evidences will grow as we continue to be drenched in the Holy Spirit. But they'll be evident through the gifts that he gives us too. To see his kingdom working. Not just in the ordinary, but in the miraculous. Let me just give you a little, I think this is a little miracle. You may recall two or three weeks ago, the prayer chain went out. For those of you that aren't on the prayer chain, I talked last week, um, no, week before, about the prayer chain and how it's good to pray for people. And we prayed for a little girl called Tilly, who we've had um, contact with through the, the stable and through Stepping Stones. She's a very sick little girl. But in the week before, she had been physically very sick. 
and had been in hospital twice and hadn't eaten. And we said to mum and dad, we will pray for you if that's okay, that, that Tilly would eat. She did not stop eating all of the following week, like she has never eaten in her entire two years. She looks about one. She is so scrawny and small. She's a beautiful child, but she is so, so poorly. But her mum just could not believe how much stuff she was throwing down. And I just saw a little miracle there. And it was beautiful. And I don't know what, 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 what the parents have made of that. But they wanted to say thank you for praying. So thank you from Anna and Steve for praying for Tilly. Please pray on. She's a poorly kid. Please pray on. But Jesus assures us that he will give us his Holy Spirit. And we will see kingdom moments in the power of his Holy Spirit. I wonder what that looks like for you. I wonder how many households have got one of these. Or something like it. A little kind of battery-powered electric screwdriver. Yeah? Kind of commonplace these days. Now, this might just be me. But as I use it, screwing things into the wall or what have you, eventually the battery begins to run out. Now, I happened to just charge this yesterday, and so it ain't going to work as a complete illustration. But as you keep going, as you keep going, you get to a point where actually the screwdriver hasn't got enough power to turn the screw. So what should you do? Recharge it. What do I do? Keep going. Keep going. I, but I go like this. And I kind of try and twist it and give it a bit of a helping hand until there's no power left in it at all. And I'm basically just twisting it around with my hand like a muppet. And I think, hang on, a, an ordinary screwdriver would be better than this. But I wonder, the power of the Holy Spirit operating like a battery in, in one of these things. What do we do? Maybe when we come to faith and we we have a real sense of God working in us. But day by day, week by week, we kind of just get rid of the charge. We we allow life and all that is good about life to kind of drain the charge from us. And I wouldn't mind betting, because I'm among you in this, that so often what we end up doing is we just try and do it ourselves. We kind of leave God out of it and we find ourselves kind of trying to do life without the power of God in us instead of recharging the battery. Because you see, actually, my battery don't last even as long as that drill. I keep on getting drained. I keep on getting down to the red line where it's virtually at zero. And we need to constantly be asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to be in our lives. Not just pay lip service to the fact that we know he's there and we know he'll help us, but actually I'm just going to carry on in my own sweet way. We need to constantly be turning to him, giving him opportunity to charge us, reading his word, 
standing in prayer, walking in prayer, driving in prayer, working in prayer, being with others who follow Jesus, that they might encourage us and refresh us, challenge us. I don't know how you feel about being open to the recharging of the Holy Spirit. You might find it all a little bit scary because it somehow feels it's a little bit beyond my control. But God is good and he wants to help us. And we need to be constantly looking to him. You know, sometimes when we're, 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 we're praying or we're, we're singing or we're just quiet, it's helpful just to hold out your hands and say, Lord God, here I am. There's nothing kind of charismatic or, or happy clappy about that. There's nothing super spiritual about that. It's just saying, Lord God, I need your help. And here's a physical thing that says, I need your help. Maybe you feel a bit uncomfortable about that. Do it in private. When you're praying at home, just, just put your hands out and say, God, please help me. I'll wait upon you. Help me this day. A little bit like what we were saying with the children. Put the roof over my head as I face the rainstorm that's coming this week. Help me. Give me the power and the ability to to face those things in your strength, in your help. See, the Holy Spirit isn't just a a kind of a, a, a supernatural force, but he is God. And he wants to help us, not, not to see amazing things for the sake of seeing whizzy things, but actually seeing God at work in the ordinary as well as the extraordinary. May it be so that we see God at work in extraordinary ways because we are so dependent on him that he chooses to work through us. Maybe today you just need a recharging with the power of God to face this week. Maybe there are struggles with health or with relationships or with work, with family issues. Maybe there are all kinds of things and you just need to ask God's help and provision and power by the power of his spirit to sustain you. And maybe even to see God break through in ways that you couldn't have imagined would happen. So there are assurances there that Jesus gives that he will give us his Holy Spirit. And then there's a third assurance that you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. I'll put the Bible. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Actually, this happens through the book of Acts. Bit by bit, the kingdom of God is spread through the disciples, through the apostles, through the early church. From Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, to the ends of the known earth, to Rome, by the end of chapter 28 of Acts. It happens. And it continues to happen. God wants us to walk with him so closely that we see and we know how he wants us to live so that our lives point to him, so that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives.
Not because I ought to do it, but because I want to do it. God doesn't promise it will be easy, but he promises he'll be with us. And if you notice in in another commission in Matthew 28, very clear there, we don't go in our own strength. We actually don't go in our own authority. We go in Jesus' authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. So now you go. You go. God's authority is given to us through Jesus. It's a bit like a policeman. A policeman's an ordinary person, just like you or me. But when they're given a warrant card, when they're given a uniform, they're given authority to act on behalf of the country to keep law and order. That uniform confers an authority to them. And following Jesus confers authority to us. So this morning, please know that you, as you follow Jesus, are a citizen of the kingdom. You are commissioned. He wants you to know his presence and his power as you walk with him. But he wants you, needs you to keep on recharging. Not just once a week or once a fortnight or once a month, but daily, throughout the day. Because he uses ordinary folk like us, you. Let's put ourselves at his disposal. There's a beautiful image in communion as we gather around this table together of our dependence on God, our dependence on Jesus for what he has done. And we're going to come to communion in the next few minutes. As we do that, we're going to also uh, welcome Paul and Lynn into membership, uh, a kind of a visual symbol of, of, of the body of Christ. As we share communion, as we gather with other people. Before we do that, though, let's continue and respond maybe to God's word. Now take a couple of, of songs that just are reflective, but may help us to respond to God's call on our lives.